we're part of the whole thing. And uh, that means a lot. Uh, that, that means we're a part of the whole ecosystem. We're not these travelers on this thing. We're part of the whole thing. That everybody who has ever lived on this planet we call home died on this planet that we called home and are still buried uh, somewhere on this planet we call home. I don't mean to creep you out with that. I'm just saying <laughs> that we are part of this whole system. And that's an incredible, extraordinary thing. So thank you, Dave, for bringing awe and uh, even just thinking about photosynthesis. And I was mowing my lawn yesterday and I was thinking, you know, I could have a different attitude toward mowing my lawn because I'm having to do that because of the miracle of photosynthesis. I wish the miracle wouldn't come back so often, but <laughs> it's a miracle. It's awesome. All right. So uh, our last song um, is a beautiful song, a cool rendition of a song. And I just want to point out something. Uh, the different styles of songs that we've had today. So we started off with This Land is Your Land, uh, which is um, uh, kind of a bluegrassy folk song kind of a thing by Woody Guthrie. So you have a different genre style uh, going on with that. And then we had this song by Irving Berlin, uh, who was a Jewish man. This was written in the late 40s. Uh, and so you have this representation in there. And then we had the Mormon Tabernacle Choir uh, sing My Country Tis of Thee. So it represents a freedom of religious expression uh, in our land and more voices uh, coming into the play. And this one, uh, just to end strong, uh, is uh, called America the Beautiful by none other than Ray Charles. Sweet 
America. You know, God done shed his grace on thee. He crowned my good. Yes, he did. Heavy brotherhood from sea to shining sea. You know, I wish I had somebody to help me sing this. think Ray Charles liked to sing that song based on your experience? Yeah. Next question. Do you think Ray Charles believed in what he was singing? I think that's remarkable because we still have a long way to go and yet he was able to sing this song uh, as a black artist uh, in this country with our country's history and yet he's still able to sing with gusto uh, this wonderful song. So I want to keep that in mind today because I had a, I had a friend uh, email me some time ago and he was concerned and wanted my perspective. His concern was that a lot of the sources that he was listening to painted a uh, really frightful picture of the future. Uh, things were going to hell in a handbasket in our country, in our world, a lot of fear about what's going to happen, you know, in the, the near future if we don't do something right away. And it was freaking him out. And so he emailed me just to wonder. He knows I'm weird and don't <laughs> have a different perspective on things. I was just curious, hey, what do you make of this? And when I emailed him back, um, I mainly went and leaned into faith. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Because if we just invest ourselves in watching news all the time, you're going to get depressed. It's not going to be a healthy thing for any of us. But if we step back a second and think about where we are in history, the trajectory of things, uh, I think there's something to have hope about, even if things don't change at the pace that we want. And it's not changing at the pace that we want. But things continue to move forward, even though there are powers of fear and greed and power at play all the time. I'm I am maintaining, I am putting out there that there is a greater influence in the world that has more to do with love, beauty, hope, all those things that we attribute to God. Uh, all of that, I contend, is a stronger influence in the world than anything else. And I believe that. And I believe that the Jewish people uh, tapped into this. And I believe they tapped into it not because they they thought it through and put together their theology enough to say, well, we believe this because we've intellectually come to this conclusion. No, 
I think they finally put the creation story itself about a thousand years after they started talking about it, and they portrayed the creation story itself out of their experience of exactly what I'm saying, that there is a force in the world, there is an influence that is creative, that is generative, that is lovely, that when this force recognize, I mean, they put human form in this, in this voice, like we all do, but the expression of creation that they offered the world was different than most of the paradigms around them. Most of the paradigms around that part of the world were that the gods up there, you know, just sort of put up with creation down here. And we human beings were noisy, annoying critters <laughs> to those gods up there. And if we didn't mind ourselves, then they would occasionally come down and mess with us and hurt us. And so we better watch out. And now and again, they might withhold rain, they might do these things, and so we had better, you know, offer sacrifices and things to keep the gods appeased up there. But in the creation story, you have a different picture. The Spirit of God is hovering over the water, so there's already something to work with, which is a very interesting theological idea. Kind of gets rid of the notion of creation out of nothing when the Jewish myth story of creation begins with there's already something there. But this creative element that is there begins to bring about creation in its forms, in their way of understanding the world, so we respect where they were. It's not a science textbook. And after every movement, the Jewish people put words in this God's mouth, saying, it's good, it's good, it's good. The plants, it's good. The animals, good. The waters, good. The land, good. And then when this God creates humanity in God's own image, empowering, therefore, us human beings, not squashing us down like bugs, but empowering us and saying, you're of great value. God does not say that we're good, but God says, you are very good. And then entrusts human beings with the care of all creation. That's an incredibly different story. And it trusts that there is this influence around that is generative, that is lovely, that is good, that can be summed up in the word love, as opposed to those other forces that are always around, fear, greed, power, and other things that don't lead to life, they lead to destruction. But we're a part of a different story. And this ebb and flow in the Bible, by the way, the Bible, uh, really gives you a picture of the cultural development, uh, not just of the Jewish people, but also of other Mideastern people. And you see things develop over time. You see laws start off uh, kind of neglecting, you know, widows and orphans and immigrants in particular. And then over time, give it a generation or two, you see, you see God change God's mind as the story develops for more protections for widows, orphans, and immigrants. And it goes even further. As more time passes, another generation of law shows up to give more protection for people. Well, why is that happening? Because certainly there were people who wanted to make sure that didn't happen. Well, it's happening because there was a greater influence than fear, greed, and power at play that people tapped into and respected. Maybe too slowly, for sure, for many of those people who could have used those rights and privileges much earlier. But nonetheless, there was a force at work 
There was an influence. There was an undercurrent that led to greater freedom, greater liberation, greater protection for people. This is the human experience, by the way. In one frame, uh, we say that something is bad, and then uh, in another frame, a little bit later, we change our minds and say, ah, oh, it wasn't as bad as we thought. And did you know that that is a biblical thing? So I'm going to show you just a few of these examples right in the Bible where people of God at one point were absolutely certain this is how God feels about things and we should believe it too. And then they changed their minds. And this comes from uh, our executive minister. He posted this on Facebook and I thought it was really cool and wanted to share it with you too. So the first statement, the Bible is clear. Moabites are bad. They were, how many hate Moabites? We're all in agreement. We hate Moabites, right? Moabites are bad. They were not to be allowed to dwell among God's people. That's in Deuteronomy 23. But then comes the story of Ruth the Moabite, which changes the prejudice against Moabites. Now, Moabites, eh, they're not so bad. <laughs> the next one, the Bible is clear. People from Uz are evil. Are you with me, people? We hate the people from Uz in Jeremiah 25. Boo to the people of Uz. <laughs> but then comes the story of Job. A man from Uz who is the most blameless man on earth. There's a change, a softening. The Bible is clear. No foreigners or eunuchs allowed. Tighten up the borders. But then comes the story of an African eunuch welcomed into the church. Interesting sidebar here. I did a funeral uh, last week uh, for an Ethiopian Orthodox uh, family. And most of the people were, were literally from Ethiopia come in for this thing. And what a remarkable thing to be able to see the faces that are in this crowd, knowing that there was a connection to deep history in the early church of a guy who could only get so far into the temple quarters because of what was forced upon him so that he could be a trusted member of the court and the queen's money. And he became part of the Christian community, was baptized in and there, and as history remembers, he takes the message of Jesus back to Ethiopia. And here was a reflection of that right here in front of my eyes. Remarkable, because people's mind changed on foreigners, and this is one of the earliest examples in the Bible of somebody who, based on what, what, what happened to him surgically, put him into more of an LGBTQ type category very early on and found welcome in the Jesus community. The Bible is clear. God's people hated Samaritans, and they definitely did. But then Jesus tells a story that shows not all Samaritans were bad. And more than that, he didn't just tell a story, but he blessed a Samaritan woman with the news that he was the one that people had been waiting for. She was the first to get the news. It's remarkable. And the conclusion with this is, is that the story may begin with prejudice, discrimination, and animosity, but the Spirit moves God's people towards openness, welcome, inclusion, acceptance, and affirmation. I know this is pretty small, and maybe there's glare, and you can't see this from the back. So I want to say this again because I believe this is a real true principle of the spirit of God that we're talking about that this thing this ground of being this higher power this greater other the spirit that sort of is tying us all together this thing that gives us breath this is this otherness thing that we're talking about that we 
that is beyond us, but in us, a part of us, this panentheistic expression of the divine that is everywhere at all times, as far as the expanding galaxy and as near as our next breath and in every part of us. That spirit is what we're talking about. The story may begin with prejudice, discrimination, and animosity based on the forces of fear, greed, and power. But the spirit of God moves God's people towards openness, welcome, inclusion, acceptance, and affirmation. Which means when we are on the side of openness, welcome, inclusion, acceptance, and affirmation, we find ourselves catching the wind of the very Spirit of God, which is constantly moving forward as the greatest influence in all of creation. There's a story about a, uh, a, he eventually became an apostle of, in the Christian church. His name started as Saul, and you're, most of you are very much aware of who this guy is. Uh, he never knew the physical Jesus. Uh, he began his work that we catch up with him about 10 to 15 years after Jesus died. And this guy, Saul, uh, kind of had a Harvard education uh, in his day. He, was, he had the best edu Jewish education that money could afford uh, in his day and time. He was looked at as a rising star. And one day he may be leading the whole thing. He's that smart. He lived his life well. He kind of did a humble, humble brag at one point in one of his letters saying nobody uh, was as good a Jewish legal follower as he was. So he had some work to do on his humility. But other than that, he, he said he nailed it, right? And I believe him. Well, this guy uh, got papers to go to a little city, not a little city, a large city called Damascus, because he heard there were some Jesus followers there. And he wanted to round them up, take them back to Jerusalem, put them on trial. And maybe if he got lucky, a bunch of them would get stoned to death. That's how how passionate, how vehemently upset this Saul was uh, toward these Jesus followers because he looked at them as apostate. And they're drawing people to them away from Judaism. And in his mind, the only thing that there is is Judaism. Everybody else is wrong. So if you're Gentile, which just simply means non-Jewish, you're wrong. If you're a Samaritan, you're wrong. If you've got things uh, that are wrong with you, like the Ethiopian eunuch, you're wrong. If you've got different ways of thinking, you're wrong. If you're a woman, you're less than. That was a normal way of seeing the world in ancient Judaism. And then on his way to Damascus, if you've seen the movie or read the story, he was literally stopped in his tracks by this experience of the resurrected Christ as a brilliant, blinding light. And a voice comes out and identifies itself as the very Jesus that he's trying to persecute. Long before the cool song came out, Saul was blinded by the light. And in an instant, uh, his life changed. One of those Satori moments. And I mean, everything changed. He was blind and needed help seeing. He had to entrust himself to Jesus' followers. <laughs> How risky would that be to help him understand what was going on? Well, in time, he began to see things, maybe for the first time in his life. And you know what he started to see? Openness and Inclusion. All of these things started to come out of Paul's mouth. The guy who was the greatest champion of the Jewish law and told everybody, you need to follow this if you want to be good with God. All of a sudden, he abandons almost all of that. and says the way of God is this, openness, welcome, inclusion, acceptance, and affirmation. And one of the churches that he started in a region called Galatia, 
there were people there would be people who came behind them they were called the judaizers and so paul would go in and start a christian community and then he'd move on and this group called the judaizers would come in and they'd go into those christian communities and say well okay that, uh, i heard what paul said but if but still you need to obey the law of god and if you're not you're in big trouble and i noticed that a lot of you non-jewish men are uncircumcised and good news we brought our cutco cutlery with us and we're happy to take care of business today right after our lunch anyway um, Paul hears about this and he's, he flips out and he writes this letter to the Galatian churches, which is again a region uh, in, uh, in the Middle East. And this is what he says to them. He's actually angry. It's the only letter that Paul wrote where he didn't start off praising the people and telling them how great they were. This one he just lays right into them. And about halfway through the letter, he says this. He says, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. It's the faith thing that, that makes it work. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile. Can you imagine what a statement that is for a guy who is, you know, praising himself as the, you know, top, the pinnacle Jew in all of Judaism? There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, this anointing, that's what Christ means, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Do you realize how powerful this is? In a time when they elevated uh, God to a throne somewhere above the heavens. You know, the old guy with a white beard on a throne. That was their picture. Distant, unapproachable, not welcoming. And Paul has the audacity to say, because of what we've learned through Jesus, we all have the opportunity to address God the same way Jesus did. Daddy. That's Abba. This is mind-blowing. And it's mind-blowing that Paul is the one who's doing this. Why? because he's no longer listening to the forces of fear, greed, and power. He's being influenced, overwhelmed by the Spirit of God, which is about love, freedom, grace, inclusion, all those things. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. What hope that brings to them and to us, why did this happen? Because he was tapping into and leaning into a different influence, which is at work in the world, and as hopeless as we may feel. And there have been some shifts, you know, uh, and just in the month of June uh, that seem to be more taking away uh, some protections and freedoms that were there for people. I don't think that's going to be the end of the story. Because I think that fear and greed and power led to the stripping away of those things. And I think that the Spirit of God is bigger and is bending the arc of history toward justice and inclusion and affirmation. It is happening. And we are on that journey. And I want to celebrate a few stories of that uh, because this is July 4th weekend. And I want to talk about things that are very real right here in our country uh, that we can celebrate and thank God for that 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 great influence that we call the Spirit of God is alive and well and at work in our world. The first person I want to talk about is the Reverend Nikita G. McAllister. 
Uh, our American Baptist Church USA uh, just had their biennial. Uh, they meet every couple years as a conference and people from all over the nation and world uh, come together. This one was held in Puerto Rico. And at every biennial, uh, they elect uh, a, a new president for the denomination uh, for the next two years until the next biennial. Uh, and this new president of, what happened? Where'd you go? The new president of our uh, denomination for the next two years is a woman who also happens to be black. This at a time when the largest Baptist denomination in the world said, if you are a church with a woman teaching over men, you are out. And here our denomination, which is also Baptist in its rootedness, is saying, we challenge that. We challenge that and we actually affirm women in ministry as equal partners with men. And isn't that awesome? And she happens to be black, so we have this intersection thing going on. That's awesome because that's who we are. Well, how did that happen? It happened because this greater influence is at work. And even among a conservative body, because Baptists are still on the conservative side, we're the, we're the outlier, right, as crosswalk. Uh, but even in the midst of this conservative body, they recognized this reality of inclusion, equality, and they affirmed it in the biggest way they could at this event. I want to celebrate this, that we live in a time, uh, I know we're two days past uh, Pride Month, but well, let's just make it all year. Uh, I, think, I think this is something to really rejoice in, that there was a time in this church's history where if you were gay, uh, well, one, you wouldn't say anything to anybody. You probably wouldn't even admit it to your own family, even if they knew about it. And most likely you would not come to church because you knew you would hear derogatory talk about those people from a very self-righteous position. And now in our country, there is greater freedom. Protections of, are in the balance, but we're no longer a country in the closet. And this church uh, celebrates diversity and celebrates inclusion. I had a woman yesterday at the funeral that Dar uh, mentioned, and it was after the service, and she she caught me uh, trying to get a cookie from the buffet line, actually. <laughs> and before I could grab my cookie, <laughs> she said, hey, uh, is, this, is this church a Christian church? And I said, yeah. And so what do you guys think about, you know, the LGBTQ community? Are, are they welcome here? How do you make sense of that? And I said, yeah, they're fully welcome uh, and equal here at Crosswalk. And the reason she asked that is because somebody, she was from the, from the city, come in for the service. And the reason she asked was because another Christian uh, who attended the service basically slammed, probably slamming our flags out there and was calling into question whether or not it was we could even be called a Christian church <laughs> if we were open and affirming. And what I want to say to you is we are a deeply Christian church that is respective, respectful and inclusive of all, even other religions, even as we follow Christ with passion. They don't need to be mutually exclusive. And I celebrate that. All right. The next story I want to talk to you about. Yeah. All right. I want to talk to you about somebody who's become very special in my life. Oh, wait a minute. That's my daughter's dog, Indy. That's not the... That's, tell you what, we've been babysitting this uh, dog. My daughter, she went to a business trip for a while. 
This dog is everywhere at all times, wherever I am. There's Indy. He even made it into my PowerPoint somehow. Thank you, Indy. Now, there's somebody else I want to talk about. And this has to do with immigration. So uh, there was a little girl named Diana in Quito uh, that when she was six years old, uh, her mother and her aunt and uncle and her cousins uh, were petitioned to immigrate into the United States. And so they moved to the United States into Southern California, Buena Vista area, and made a go of it. And their hope was that they would have a better shot at life uh, in the United States than they were going to have in the Philippines. And so they made their way here. This large family of, let's see, one, two, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine people uh, crammed into a two-bedroom apartment. Uh, the adults all had multiple jobs because they just wanted to provide a better future for their children. Diana's mother uh, worked two jobs and was able to provide for uh, her two daughters and, and brother. Uh, mostly the two daughters, the brother moved uh, in with his dad, uh, her dad. Uh, and they got into one of the better high schools, one of the, actually one of the best public high schools in the nation uh, in that area. And they graduated and went on to college, both Diana and her sister graduated from college and are now in their respective careers. Diana and Guido uh, happens to be my son Noah's girlfriend. And so I know her story well, and I love her. And I want to tell you that while there may be fears about immigrants coming over the borders with nefarious ideas, I want to tell you that Diana, as far as I can tell, is not an evil person. <laughs> She's not a marauder. She's not here to kill anybody. I can also tell you that in any large number of people, any large group of people, you're going to have some that are nefarious, that are ill in the head and ill willing toward other people who are more motivated by fear, greed, and power than anything else. But I can tell you that from my experience, the majority of people who are coming into our country are not like that. I have dear friends in this community who immigrated from south of the border, from some, some from Mexico, some from Central America, some from South America. You know what these evildoers are doing in Napa now? They're the executive directors of nonprofit agencies that are making this community a better place. Do they hate the countries they've come from? No, they love the countries they've come from. They go back and visit the countries they've come from, but this is their home now and they love it and they want the world to be a better place for it. I celebrate the dream that I think is born of the spirit of God. I think that we messed around in our country with, are we a Christian nation or not? And I think sometimes we get it and sometimes we don't. But here's what I'm certain of, that I believe that the spirit of God is about inclusion and welcome and hope and, and creation and all of that to help people become what they can be at their greatest. And I think our experiment called democracy provides that opportunity. I think about Sal here, who made it to the United States uh, as an Italian immigrant. And the world, America is a better place because we have Sal here. Crosswalk's a better place because we have Sal. I was talking to some neighbors of mine uh, who are Filipino. And because Diana's part of our family, almost technically, really, uh, she, <laughs> we treat her like she's part of our family. Uh, and so, you know, I'm thinking about, well, I'm curious about this culture and all that. So we ran into some friends. Uh, and I was just curious, um, 
you know how how long how long they how far back their lineage went uh, in the United States versus Philip, Philippines and all that. And so I asked them, um, so tell me the story. And she said, well, I think we're we're fourth generation uh, Filipino here in the United States. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. Uh, she can't speak Tagalog uh, because that just sort of faded with time. And then I started thinking about it. Did you know I am a third generation uh, Dutch immigrant? Because my grandfather was a first generation, which would make my mom, I think I got this right, second generation of me third. They've been here longer technically as in terms of generations than I have. That's the dream of the country. My grandfather's mother was in an abusive marriage, uh, wanted to kill herself and changed her mind and came to the United States, came over to Muscatine, Iowa. How many of you have been to Muscatine? Right. And, you know, <laughs> Midwesters, right. Uh, got to work at the button factory. Who knew there was a button factory in Muscatine? Thank you. Oh, wow. That's incredible. And so I have many family members who made their way in the button factory. Why? It wasn't because they loved buttons. It was because they wanted something better for their families and their children. And it worked. That's the dream. That part of the dream, I think, has the winds of the Spirit of God because that's what the Spirit of God does because that's what we see in the New Testament itself. We see this early group of Jesus followers who become broader and broader and more diverse and more diverse, welcoming more and more people to the table. That's the dream, not just of America. America ripped it off like a Woody Guthrie song. <laughs> America ripped it off from the very Spirit of God because that's what God is about. If God is the, is the parent, to use such language, of all people in the world, then wouldn't this daddy want everybody to come to dinner around the same table? Of course. Now, we don't enjoy all the freedoms equally in our country. Even though it says we all have protection under the law, we know, we know that doesn't play out that way for everybody. So we know we have work to do. But we then get the opportunity. Because God does not, and cannot, by the way, just all of a sudden decide, okay, starting on July 5th, it's all going to be perfectly fair. We're going to see each other as legit equals across the board. That just does not happen. And the reason it doesn't happen is because God is spirit. While God's spirit may be the greatest influence in all of creation, God's spirit requires those who sense that spirit to actually do something. Do something hard, like recognize, hey, we can probably have a wider table here. Hey, we can have a different attitude toward people. Hey, we can look at people as God's other children rather than through fear and greed and power and look at them as the other. Because that aligns us with the very spirit of God. It's hard, but the view at the end is worth it. It's hard view at the end is worth it. Memorial Day weekend, uh, our family went to uh, Yellow Yosemite, uh, going to Yellowstone for a conference uh, in another week. And while we were in Yosemite, uh, we decided to take this trail up to see uh, Vernal Falls. Uh, you can take, it's a paved trail. Uh, we'd not done it before. Uh, this was the first time we've stayed in the park for that many days where we could do different hikes and things. And 
Carrie Nuccio uh, said, hey, it's a nice, easy hike to the, to the bridge to view Vernal Falls. I want to tell you that Carrie Nuccio has a lying problem. <laughs> the first 50 feet of this trail is flat, and the rest of it is like this. It's paved, which is, that's nice, but it's up and up and more up and more up. That's right, in big steps, long way, right, if you're going to go all the way to the top of the falls, right. Sal knows what I'm talking about. So we're about halfway, two-thirds up, <laughs> and I have this, this crazy thing happens. I'm, we're taking a break, and this woman who's in retirement age, I would put her probably right around 70-ish. She seems to be in pretty good physical condition, and she walks past, pushing her electric wheelchair. <laughs> I'm looking at this thinking, what in the world is happening here? <laughs> You're walking up this hill, pushing an electric cart that you require to get around. <laughs> and so I just kind of said, so what's going on? <laughs> With a smile, you know? And she's like, well, the battery's kind of getting low. And I didn't want to run out once I'm at the top. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, but you're going to come downhill, right? <laughs> Are you really going to need power to come down the hill? So as an electric vehicle guy, I'm like, well, does it regenerate on the way down? Maybe you could kind of blow it all the way out and then it'll kind of power up on your way down. You might have a full charge. This thing is so steep. And she said, no, I looked into that. It doesn't recharge. And on she went. And I just kept thinking to myself, what? is happening here that I'm seeing this person go and on she went and uh, I ran into her a couple times and she took a rest and we took a rest but then I figured out the rest of the story because I was walking a little bit further and I came across her husband this guy who was on crutches he was the one who was riding that cart and he knew the battery wasn't getting him up. But he wanted to see the view. And so he got his crutches out, and it was painful to watch him make his way up. And as we passed him, because he's going very slow, as you would guess, I just said, hey, tip of the hat to you, man. You know, we're all huffing and puffing here, and you're doing this. You only got one leg that's working, and you're making this journey. And he just kind of laughed it off like, I had to do it. I had to do it. This is at the Vernal Falls Bridge. He made it to where he wanted to go. It was hard work. But the view was worth it in the end. We have choices about what is going to influence, influence us most. And we will constantly be encouraged to be influenced by the forces of greed, fear, and power. It is all over the media, all sides of the media, will use fear, greed, and power to motivate us. But there is another greater influence at work. And as people of faith, we understand that that is the very spirit of God. Paul, to his protege, Timothy, said, you have not been given the spirit of timidity. You have been given the spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. We are the ones to catch the wind in our sails 
of the Spirit of God that really does love everyone always, who is, <laughs> of course, since the Spirit is breathing life into everything and everyone, more interested than everything and everyone than anything or anyone else. And we get to be a part of that. On this July 4th, we can celebrate that we live in a place where we have the freedom to express that and move that forward boldly with shalom towards shalom, deep peace, well-being for everyone. We get to do this. So we celebrate this day. We celebrate what we have here in this land, the freedoms that that affords us to lean into the Spirit of God. And we celebrate the God who has given us life and breath, who is bigger than we can imagine, and yet as intimate and as experiential as we could ever hope. If we'll slow down and listen. This gives me great hope for the future of humanity and our world. Maybe not the pace that we wish it would come, but come it will. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Spirit of love, thank you. Ground of being, we express our gratitude for holding us and grounding us higher power who calls us forward to higher paths. It is with gratitude that we say yes and thank you. You have gotten us this far with hope and strength. You have been our strength in our times of weakness and you will continue to be. You call us forward in love and gratitude and peace. You call us forward to expand the table to increase inclusivity, to value the stranger, to affirm those who have not heard that they are affirmed, to stand up for the vulnerable. These are things that you are already doing and you invite us to do the same. Thank you, God, that you would entrust us and welcome us and empower us to join you in this incredible, wonderful, creative venture. May we be faithful. May we be strong. May we be hopeful. May we be known as people of peace. May the world know that we are Christians by our love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming today. I hope you had a great experience. Now it is time to eat. So let's go do that. If you want to do Crosswalk 101, just come see me here. That's just an opportunity to get any questions answered that you might have. Uh, otherwise, just go eat. All right, thanks.